warm greetings to all our friends and family around the world. Welcome to all our guests that are here today. Next week is the Feast of Trumpets, as we heard the announcement. And then three weeks from today begins the Feast of Tabernacles. So we rejoice in God's plan of salvation. His holy days and festivals reveal this awesome plan that God has for all human beings on the face of the earth. We rejoice that Christ came that we might have the abundant life. We face trials and troubles and all upsets around the world. And yet in John 10.10, Christ said that he came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. It reminds me, of course, that in the times that we have trial, we have to maintain a positive and tranquil mind. That was uh, Dr. Meredith's number one lessons on the wonderful way of radiant life of health, radiant, way, radiant life, radiant health, how seven, la seven ways to radiant health. And number one was maintain a positive and tranquil mind. And that, that has helped me and still helps me uh, even in these days. So the Feast of Tabernacles is one of those ways that we have abundant life. Deuteronomy 14 and starting with verse 22. You shall truly tithe all the increase of your grain that the field produces year by year, and you shall eat before the eternal your God. So when you're aware of the presence of God in the place where he chooses to his name abide, the tithe of your grain, of your new wine, of your oil, of the firstborn of your herds and of your flocks, that you may, what is the lesson? May learn to fear the eternal your God always that you may learn to fear the eternal your God always. But if the journey is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe or if the place is where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far from you when your Lord your God has blessed you, then you shall exchange it for money, take the money in your hand and go to the place which the eternal your God chooses. And you shall spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep, for wine or similar drink, or whatever your heart desires. You shall eat there before the eternal your God, and you shall rejoice, you and your household. So he tells us to rejoice, but we also have the awesome lesson of learning to fear your, the eternal your God always. So how important is a godly fear? We just learned that we need to do that always. The title of the sermon today is Godly Fear, A Key to Conversion. Godly Fear, A Key to Conversion. Today we'll be covering several, several topics on the matter of godly fear. We'll talk about the world rejecting godly fear and the combination of godly fear and godly love. We'll briefly discuss forms of fear, uh, give examples of those who have a godly fear, and can you think of anyone in the Bible who had godly fear? And also, godly fear exemplified by awe, A-W-E. And we'll briefly look at some of the benefits of godly fear and the qualities for the kingdom from references from the book of Revelation. So first of all, we'll talk about the world does not fear God. The world ignores and rejects the Bible and actually rejecting the idea of God. And that's why we're going to head for Armageddon in World War III, because the world has rejected the very reality of God. And we have North Korea threatening to bomb the United States with nuclear weapons. And we have conflicts and turmoil devastating thousands in Syria and the Middle East. And most of you know the conclusion of the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists on January 24th of this year, January 24th, 2023. The Bulletin of Atomic Scientists moved the hands of the doomsday clock to 90 seconds before midnight. And this is what they stated. Largely, though, and not exclusively because of the mounting dangers of the war in Ukraine, 
The clock now stands at 90 seconds to midnight, the closest to global catastrophe it has ever been. You, you think that they had read Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. The closest it has been to global catastrophe it has ever been. It'll be interesting to see in January 2024 uh, whether they move the hands of the doomsday clock even further closely to midnight. Nuclear risk. Russia threatens to use nuclear weapons in the Ukraine war. Constitute the worst nuclear development in 2022. While previous trends of expansion and modernization of nuclear arsenals continue. So the nations are heading towards World War III. And why has not humanity learned the way to peace? Why is the world headed towards World War III and Armageddon? Because the statesmen, the world leaders, and the nations, and the religious leaders are ignorant of the way to peace. They lack that vital spiritual quality possessed by all Christians, all genuine Christians. Turn your Bible to Romans, the third chapter. Romans chapter 3. And this is the Apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 14 and from Psalm 53. Romans 3, actually verses 10 through 17. Romans chapter 3, verse, 7, verse 10. As it is written, there is none, writ, no, none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after a God. They have all turned aside. They have all together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongue they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet also swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. Why? Verse 18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The world is increasingly rejecting God in the Bible, and the world is rejecting the very foundation of world peace, and that is to have a godly fear. And God has called us to be training as kings and priests for the world tomorrow, tomorrow's world. And one of the fundamental characteristics of the saints of God is genuine, faithful Christians is that of godly reverence and godly fear. So the title of the sermon today, as I mentioned, is Godly Fear, A Key to Conversion. We talked briefly about the world rejecting the very basic foundation of the way to peace. Secondly, we'll talk about godly fear and godly love. What are the characteristics of God's true church? Dr. Meredith wrote the booklet, Where is God's True Church Today? Now, I'll quote from the booklet. Quote, for the sake of brevity, Dr. Meredith writes, I will list and explore just five of those signs, quote unquote, so that if your mind is open, you may know how to recognize God's true church on earth today. What's the number one characteristics that Dr. Meredith mentioned as the characteristic of the true church of God? Number one, fear God. He writes, one of the first tests that Abraham, the father of faithful, had to pass and de described in Genesis 22. Please read the chapter carefully. Here we find how God tested Abraham, verse 1, to see whether he would be totally submissive to the Creator, even willing to sacrifice his only son. At the very last minute, when Abraham had proved his total submission to God, God sent his spokesman who said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to harm to him. For now, I know that you fear God, since you have not well withheld your son, your only son, from me. Verse 12. And that's from page 13 from Dr. Maris' booklet on where is God's true church today. <clears throat> so 
who is going to be in the first resurrection. Turn to Revelation, the 11th chapter. <coughs> Revelation, the 11th chapter. <coughs> and here we have the awesome announcement that we'll be mentioning again and again, particularly on the Feast of Trumpets next Sabbath. Revelation 11, 15, the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That's when the first resurrection takes place at the last trumpet, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Revelation 11 and verse 18, the nations were angry. No, they're not going to rejoice at that announcement. And your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints and those who fear your name. So who's going to be in the first resurrection? The prophets, the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and shall destroy those who destroy the earth. The world's view is that the fear of God is an Old Testament concept, and it's a primitive view. Once you are converted, according to Protestants, you no longer fear God, you love God. Well, that's the fallacy of the either-or fallacy. It's not faith or works, as James says, it's faith and works. It's not law or grace, it's law and grace. And of course, Mr. Weston has written the booklet on the, the law of grace, and that'll be the semi-annual offer in November. Um, so you'll be looking forward to that booklet. So it's not law or grace, it's law and grace. And so again, it's not the fear of God or the love of God, it's the fear of God and the love of God as we read in Deuteronomy 10 and verse, verse 12. What does the Lord God require of you? Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him. They are not mutually exclusive. They are both and love God and to fear the Lord your God. He goes on to verse 15. The Lord delighted only in your, in your fathers to love them. He chose their descendants after them. You above, above all the peoples as it is this day. Verse 16 of Deuteronomy 10. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Verse 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. So when we're thinking about the dimensions of the reverence of God and the fear of God, think about what it says here. The Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. And verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. So what are the various forms of fear? God wants us to have that reverence and to have that awareness of his awesomeness and his mighty power. What are other forms of fear? Uh, Mr. Rod McNair gave a sermon, uh, Feast of Trumpets last year, 2022 here in Charlotte, called Feast of Trumpets 2022, Godly Fear and the Feast of Trumpets. Most of you heard that sermon by Mr. McNair. You might want to review that coming up this uh, coming Feast of Trumpets. So what are the benefits of godly fear? And if you lack this quality, will you be in the kingdom? What are some of the forms of fear? Unger's Bible Dictionary under the title Fear states this, quote, a broad range of emotions that embrace both the secular and religious world. Secular fear 
is the natural feeling of alarm caused by the expectation of imminent danger, pain, or disaster. You, when you have the alarm, you have the hurricane warnings, and you're told to evacuate, uh, you should do that. The Maui uh, firestorm uh, showed that people had to evacuate. You have a secular fear that you respond to alarm. Religious fear, Unger's Bible Dictionary goes on to say, appears as the result of an awe, A-W-E, and reverence towards a supreme power, end of quote. Then you have the Greek word phobos in the New Testament. One example is in Luke 21 and verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, so that men's hearts failing them from fear, or phobos, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth and the power of the heavens will be shaken. So men's hearts will be failing them from fear when all these end-time prophetic events are fulfilled. So we see there are secular fears and religious fears. And fear is also as a consequence of sin. Remember what happened when God confronted Adam after his sin. I won't turn there, but Genesis 3 and verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. Adam is responding to God, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So there's a fear that is a consequence of sin. And I won't turn there again, but Revelation 21 and verse eight says, but the cowardly, those who do not have godly courage and godly fear will be in the lake of fire with brimstone, which is the second death. That's Revelation 21 and verse eight. So those who are cowardly have have a secular fear that is a consequence of sin and don't have godly courage, don't have godly fear, will be in the lake of fire. So the wrong kind of fear is associated with disobedience and a lack of faith. We have freedom from fear and God has given us these awesome promises. And I, so if I turn to 1 John, the fourth chapter, it's one of these, my favorite of promises, and of course in teaching speech classes for many years, I have tried to teach students how to have courage to speak, and you know, oftentimes surveys in the United States would show once in a while that the number one fear is public speaking. Well, how can you overcome that fear? And of course we have the spokesman clubs and the graduate club, but what does it tell us in First John Four and verse 18, one of the wonderful promises that God gives us. First John 1, 4 and verse 18, for there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So anytime you feel a little nervous, well, you're not to uh, have the courage or the confidence. Just remember this verse, 1 John 4:18. Perfect love casts out fear. And ask God to give you that love. And of course, the most wonderful promise of all, 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. I think you all have memorized that verse. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. So God has given us a spirit of love that casts out fear. Romans 5.5 5 is a promise of God's Holy Spirit. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given to us. That's the King James Version. And we have a hymn uh, in our hymnal number, page 108. Uh, Be not afraid, my people. I'm going to read to you a couple of promises. I won't turn to them, but I'll just read to them uh, promises of God's love and uh, his help to give you confidence and courage. Uh, we heard in the announcements, uh, Dr. Douglas Winnell's uh, weekly message, 
uh, quoting from Joshua. Joshua, be strong and of good courage. And we have so many of these promises and exhortations by God. Here, the prophet Isaiah, for example, Isaiah 40, verse 9. O Zion, you who bring good tidings, get up to the high mountain, O Jerusalem. You who bring good tidings, lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And God's ministers and prophets have to be bold in the faith, even as, of course, Peter was on the day of Pentecost. Isaiah 41 and verse 10, another one exhortation. Fear not, God says, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And 12 times in the New Testament, God tells us, fear not. I'll give you one more example in Isaiah. Isaiah 41 verse 14. It says, God says, fear not, you worm Jacob. So we realize, yes, you, Jacob, are a little worm, uh, but don't worry, uh, fear not. I will help you, says the Eternal, I and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So God says, fear not, you worm. And if you think that Jacob is a worm, oh, how do you consider yourself? in the context of the universe. I'll address that question again later on in the sermon. Religious fear is the human response to the presence of God. That was the Unger's dictionary uh, definition. I'll read from Unger's again. The fear of God is not to be understood as the dread that comes out of fear of punishment, but as the reverential regard and awe, A-W-E, that comes out of recognition and submission to the divine. It is the revelation of God's will to which the believer submits in obedience. And so again, you have that perspective that you prove who and what God is. You know the proofs of God. You've read the real God proofs and promises, the book by Dr. Douglas Winnell. You know God's, the promises and uh, proofs of God that he is the creator, the lawgiver, the life giver, the sustainer, the designer, one who fulfills prophecy, answers prayers. He has a way of life that works. And you realize, yes, you respond to that by being obedient and following with responsiveness. I'll give you one more example of God telling us not to fear. That's the prophet Daniel. In Daniel, the 10th chapter, and verse 12. Daniel, of course, was facing many challenges. And God told him in Daniel 12, 10, chapter 10, verse 12. Then he said to me, Daniel writes, Do not fear, Daniel, for the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come before your words. And then verse 18 of Daniel 10. Then again, one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not. Peace be to you. Be strong. Yes, be strong. So God gives blessings to those who fear him. And he tells us to have more courage. And of course, in the first century AD and around Jerusalem, there were the God-fearers, who they were the Gentiles who were coming to the temple and listening to the emphasis of the local preaching. We've had quite a few sermons on fear and phobias. I'll mention some of them way back when, sermon number 117, frustration, fear, or faith. And then we had... Uh, sermon number 416, Fear God and Rejoice. And then one by Dr. Douglas Winnell, Do You Fear God? Number 575. Uh, sermon number 641, Peace in the Fear of God. That was from uh, Mr. Bob League. Uh, 701, Overcoming Your Fears and Phobias. Uh, sermon number 776, Do You Fear God? Uh, that was a trumpet sermon. Uh, by Dr. Douglas Winnell. 
Number 779, Fear God by Dr. Roderick Meredith, which was a must play. And then I already mentioned the sermon last, Feast of Trumpets last year, Trumpets 2022, Godly Fear and the Feast of Trumpets. We have, uh, we're in the rerun season of Tomorrow's World Telecast right now, and uh, we start the new season with new programs. We've already taped 19 of the 30 new programs that we'll have in the new season 2023 and 2024. Uh, November 5th, uh, 2023 is the first of the new programs for the new season. And it'll be given uh, to us uh, by our presiding evangelist, uh, Gerald Weston. And what is the title of that uh, telecast? Do You Fear, fear God? <laughs> so it's uh, uh, amazing how this theme is carried on through, through the year. Do You Fear God? That will be the telecast on November 5th, uh, 2023. And in that telecast, Mr. Weston says the following. Who and what do you fear? Heights, water, public speaking, death? Or are you one who claims to fear nothing? What about God? Do you fear him? Should you fear him? The answer may surprise you. Stay with me, and I'll give you the answers from the pages of your Bible. So I'm sure you'll be looking forward to the, the new television season starting November 5th. And by the way, our rerun season is doing well, very well. We're getting some excellent responses over uh, both internationally and in the United States. Next, I want to cover some biblical examples. I asked you earlier before, can you recall anyone in the Bible who had a godly fear. We know that Israel went into Syrian captivity. For what reason? I won't turn there, but I'll just read to you from 2 Kings 17, verse 25. Why did Israel go into captivity? And it was so, at the beginning of their dwelling there, that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. But who in the Bible were good examples of a godly fear? Hebrews 11th chapter gives men and women of faith. And who is one of those who had a godly fear? Hebrews 11 and verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet to come, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. So Noah was one who had a godly fear. And we saw earlier from uh, Dr. Meredith's booklet on the true history of the true church that Abraham was one that greatly feared God and God blessed him for he is called the father of the faithful. That's what we call him. There's another example. You turn to Exodus, the first chapter, Exodus 1, and we'll find another example of those who were blessed by God because they had a godly fear. Exodus, the first chapter, starting with verse uh, 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shephur and the other Apua. Verse 16, and he said, when you do the duties of the midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then you shall, he, she shall live. Notice verse 17, Exodus 1. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded him, but saved the male children alive. Mr. Weston gave a sermon recently. I thought it was one that should become a must play. It was, uh, these are the times that try men's souls. And in that sermon, he gave four keys for courage, the courage that we all need in these end times. Key number two was what? Fear God. That's the way to develop courage. He asked, do you fear men more than you fear God? Then he quoted Dennis Prager, 
from his uh, his book, Dennis Prager's book, The Rational Bible uh, on Exodus, on page uh, 14. And this is a quote from uh, that uh, Rational Bible by Dennis Prager. Quote, people fear those who are more powerful than they are. Therefore, the only way not to fear powerful people is to fear God. Thus, in the instance recorded here, those who feared God saved Hebrew babies, while those who feared Pharaoh helped drown Hebrew babies. It was the midwives' fear of God that liberated them from the fear of the Egyptian tyrant. This point is often overlooked. Fear of God is a liberating emotion, freeing one from the disabling fear of evil, powerful people. This needs to be emphasized more. Many people are uh, see fear of God as an onerous rather than liberating. And he concludes in his commentary about the uh, midwives in Exodus 1, courage is the rare, rarest of all good traits. There are far many, more many kind and honest people than there are courageous people. Well, that's from the Rational Bible uh, on the commentary on Exodus page 14. So we've seen some examples from the Bible of those who had a godly fear. Now turn to Proverbs, the 31st chapter. Proverbs 31. And here I think most of our women know of this particular characteristic in Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Proverbs 31 and verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. So who else? In the Bible is an example of a godly fear, the virtuous woman, and we certainly have many of those in our Charlotte congregation for which we're very thankful. Then there's a New Testament example in Acts the 10th chapter, or turn to Acts the 10th chapter. Not only do we have the virtuous woman, but the first major Gentile to be converted, Acts the 10th chapter and verse one. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision of an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, In Acts, the 10th chapter, and verse 21. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? Verse 22. And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear the words from you. Then he invited them in and, and lodged them. And so we find here that the apostle Peter went down to visit with Cornelius, and even the, the ones that were with him say, what is the characteristic of this man? He's a man who fears God. Chapter 10, verse 34, Acts chapter 10, verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, that in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. So here we realize that yes, here was a man, the first major Gentile in his household. The one major characteristic that was told about him was a godly fear.
And this next example may be a little surprising to you. Who else had a godly fear? Turn in your Bible to Hebrews 5 and verse 7. Hebrews 5 and verse 7. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. That's verse 6. Verse 7, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. That's the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. There's a prophecy about the Messiah and his characteristics back in Isaiah the 11th chapter. Turn back to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 and verse 1. Isaiah 11 verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Upon whom? Upon the Messiah. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Spirit of counsel and might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So as we just read in Hebrews, the Messiah had a godly fear. And note verse 3, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. You know, how do you have delight in the fear of the Lord? Well, as we'll read one of the promises of uh, benefits of a godly fear, Proverbs 14, 26, I believe it is, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. Yes, you can have delight in the fear of the Lord. And he should not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he will judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. Yes, talking about the Messiah, who had a fear of the Lord. And in some cases, of course, the Tetragrammaton is referring to God the Father, who the one that became God the Father, and not only just the Messiah himself. So we find that the Messiah had a delight in the fear of the Lord. So we briefly looked at a biblical examples of saints with godly fear. Noah, Abraham, the Hebrew midwives, and the virtuous woman of Proverbs 31, which are many of you here in the audience the centurion, Cornelius of Acts, and the Messiah himself. Next, I want to talk about, briefly, godly fear as an awe, A-W-E. As we read previously, Unger's Bible Dictionary on the subject of fear, as the reverential regard and the awe, A-W-E, that comes out of recognition and submission to the divine. It is the revelation of God's will to which the believer submits in obedience. I won't turn, I won't turn there, but Psalm 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So when you think of awe, as a part of a characteristics of godly fear. What is that? Cambridge Dictionary. Definition of awe, A-W-E. A feeling of great respect, usually mixed with fear or surprise. Yes, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. So how can you stand in awe of the eternal one way is to meditate on his greatness, his power, and his nature. One way is to consider or think about the galaxies, the creation of God, and what is in the universe. I think many of you have seen some of the NASA websites of the Hubble and the Webb telescopes. There's one I'll just share with you. 
that it was a result of the Webb telescope or a particular galaxy. The galaxy NGC 7292 billows across this image from the NASA Hubble Space Telescope. It lies about 44 million light years from Earth in the constellation Pegasus. I mean, you just think, this galaxy is 44 million light years away. You know, it's hard for us to comprehend. Light years are considered the distance that light travels in a particular year at 186,000 miles per second. And it's real hard for us to comprehend how can we even comprehend 44 million light years from the Earth. And yet, here's this awesome galaxy. And it's humbling when you ask the question, where, where am I in this vast universe? This was only 44 million light years away. Where am I in this universe? The answer is, in Revelation 21, verse 7, He over and overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be as God, and he shall be my son. So when you think about your place in the universe and how tiny and insignificant you are in the vastness of space, you realize God will still give you as an inheritance all things, all the universe. So to stand in awe, I suggest you meditate on the vastness of the universe just as King David did in, in Psalm 8 and verse 3. When I consider, David wrote in Psalm 8 and verse 3, or you meditate, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you ordained, what is man? that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him or care for him for you have made him a little lower than the angels and have crowned him with glory and honor. Yes, you meditate on the vastness of God's greatness and his power and his creation. That's how you can stand in awe of him. You can also meditate on the powers of God. We've given sermons on the power of God, particularly when we consider a Pentecost and that God has given us the power of his spirit. And what is that spirit? The spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And what is the greatest reality? I've given a sermon on that before. and We've had an article in June 2022 or Tomorrow's World magazine titled, What is the Greatest Reality? And of course, the answer is, as Mr. Herbert Armstrong would say, many decades ago, the greatest reality is God reigns supreme or God rules supreme. Uh, just before services, I happened to open the, the uh, hymnal to page 61. The eternal reigns, the God eternal <laughs> reigns, has actually uh, this, uh, happened to turn open to that particular hymn. Yes, God rules supreme. And he's given that plan of salvation for all men. He controls the galaxies, called myriads of angels. And the last sentence in the article on what is the greatest reality, I'll read from that from the Tomorrow's World magazine. The omnipotent God, the Father, sent his son, Jesus Christ, to shed his blood so that you can partake in the greatest reality of all. Will you respond to his loving offer? We had another article in the Living Church News titled The Three O's by uh, Mr. Wallace Smith. That was December uh, 2007, the Living Church. The Three O's, what are they? Uh, God is omnipotent, omnipresent, and omniscient. We also had another article in the Living Church News, May, June uh, 2011, uh, by Wyatt Seselka, how God's name reveals his nature and his power. Psalm 119, verse 161 says, Princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in the awe of your word. And of course, 
Let's turn to Isaiah 66 and verse 2. You all know that by heart. I think you, most of you should, at least. And it's maybe a little hard to understand. Do I literally tremble before God's word? Isaiah 66 and verse 2. For all these things my hand is made, and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. Now, how do you tremble, you know, at God's word? How do you do that? The word tremble uh, appears 31 times in the Bible. The word trembled, past tense, 22 times in the Bible. And trembling, 27 times in the Bible. So you have 80 times in the Bible, a tremble, trembled, or trembling. And God says, this is the one I'm going to look to, the one who trembles at my word. So I would just suggest how you can tremble before God's word is to full, give full attention when you're reading God's word. In other words, you're not reading the Bible as just kind of a, a secular novel. You're reading it as a message that God is speaking to you personally, and you're giving full attention when you're reading the scriptures. Yes, you stand in awe of God's word. There's an interesting uh, commentary in the Psalm, the second uh, Psalm, the second Psalm. Turn back to Psalm two. And this is uh, one that I've, I guess I smile at from time to time thinking of how God faces the nations and how the nations think they're so great. Psalm 2 and verse 10. Psalm 2 and verse 10. For all these things my hand has made and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him, um, that was Psalm, Isaiah 62. Psalm 2 and verse 10. Now there before wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. As Christ said, he delights in the fear of the Lord. And here he's telling these kings of the earth, rejoice with trembling. So it's not either or, it's both and. And of course it tells us in Proverbs, I mean in Philippians 4 and verse 4 where the Apostle Paul was in chains in prison and wrote the book of Philippians while he was in prison and said rejoice in that particular sermon. Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. There's another interesting comment about trembling in 2 Corinthians the 7th chapter. 2 Corinthians 7, and by the way, uh, 2 Corinthians 7 has a section ungodly fear and the fruits of godly fear that he was telling the Corinthians that they should have a vehement desire, the clearing of themselves and zeal. 2 Corinthians 7 verse uh, 15. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 15. And his, that is Titus, affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you. So again, here was a, a representative of the Apostle Paul, and they had already received the corrective letter, in 1 Corinthians, uh, the first chapter. And so now he realized that they had received Titus with fear and trembling. I don't know if you can say that you've ever trembled. What is the uh, definition? Is an act of instance of trembling, especially a fit or spell of involuntary shaking or quivering. I don't know if many of you have ever, ever trembled before, had a uh, quivering or, 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 or trembling. Uh, my wife and I have experienced uh, quite a few uh, earthquakes in Southern California. By the way, how many of you have experienced a severe earthquake in which the 
the ground or the house or the place was really moving. How many of you have ever experienced? I see uh, quite a few of you have. And you realize when we, my wife and I were in our old house, and it was a, uh, a wood frame house on blocks, and when the earthquake came, came, we would go in the doorway, hold the doorway, and the house is moving back and forth. And my knees were weak as water afterwards after experiencing that earthquake. And I, I think I told you the story before about the Northridge earthquake on January 17th, 1994. My wife and I were bed in this old home on Mainland Street in Pasadena. It was 4.31 in the morning, and the house began shaking and moving and, and bouncing. We were in bed, and my wife said, go to the door. And I said, no, stay in bed, because I heard that when you were in bed, you're supposed to pull the covers over your head in case anything falls on you. So we're arguing as the house is going back and forth, and, and uh, she's saying, go to the doorway. I said, no, stay, stay in the bed. Anyway. That was an incredible earthquake. It was uh, 6.7 on the Richter scale, as called the Northridge earthquake, in which there were 57 fatalities. Uh, and a subsequent said, a study said there were 72, including heart attacks and injured thousands. It reminded me of Luke, uh, the 21st chapter, and verse 25. And there shall be signs of the sun and the moon and the stars and the earth distress of nations with perplexities, the sea and the waves roaring. Verse 26 of Luke 21, men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth for the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. So even in the Northridge earthquake in 1994, there were heart attacks. People died from heart attacks. I think I've told you the story before, but I'll, I'll mention before. My second year at Ambassador College, I was asking God, I don't remember the exact question, but I was asking, well, Father, please help me to see your power and your greatness. And in my dormitory bedroom where I prayed that prayer, there was a National Geographic magazine or book with a picture of galaxies on the front of the cover. And then I said that prayer in a microsecond. I, uh, I had, well, where am I in that picture? If the earth were in that picture, which it would not, it would have been a tiny little dot. And where am I on that tiny little dot? And in a second, microsecond, I was flat on my face, prostrated on the floor. Because God just showed me, where are you? Richard Ames in this great universe. You are nothing, you're tiny, you can't even be seen in this little dot called planet Earth that's even there in this, not even here in this picture, in this uh, picture of the galaxies and the astro bodies. So that was one time that I had the fear of God. You know, who am I? Well, we know that God has given all of us that we are more valuable than the worm Jacob that God said, fear God, worm Jacob, or I'm, I'm with you. Fear not, worm, worm Jacob. Dr. Meredith had an article in the Tomorrow's World magazine titled, A Fear of God. And this is uh, what he wrote, a part of what he wrote in his article in Tomorrow's World. That was November, December 2004, Tomorrow's World titled, The Fear of God. Frankly, they do this because God seems far off to most of them. He is an unreal or vague intellectual concept to many, including some who highly educated in the colleges and seminaries of this world. Put simply, they do not have what the Bible calls the fear of God. Now I must ask, could that be you, my friend? Note this passage from the prophet Isaiah, the 66th chapter in verse 2, and ask yourself, in this way, is this the way I study the word of God? But on this one I look, on him that is poor in a contrite spirit and trembles at my word, Isaiah 66, 2, which we previously read. Is the word of God too strong for you, dear friends? Dr. Meredith writes, instead of trembling at the word of God, the vast majority of the so-called Christians reason around clear and ambiguous 
statements, end of quote. <clears throat> Turn to Philippians, the second chapter, Philippians 2. And here is one of the most fundamental statements concerning our salvation. Of course, there are many as well. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, we just stand in the awe of God. And yet, the fear of God is not contrary to faith. We already saw that Noah had faith, and yet it was moved with a godly fear. What is the solution? How do you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? The next verse. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's the comforting come, the promise that God gives. Yes, you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God gives you the power and blessings. So we realize, yes, God works in us both the will and the do of his good pleasure. So we've seen that godly fear is exemplified by all, as we read in Psalm 33 and verse 8. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him. Next, we'll talk briefly about the benefits of godly fear. And I'm going to have to read through these rather quickly. I don't think we'll turn, have time to turn to them. I might turn to one or two of them, but I'll just read to you. What are the benefits of godly fear? There's so many that it's just wonderful promises that God gives us. Psalm 25, we read, uh, we sang that in the hymnal today, this, morning, uh, this afternoon. Psalm 25, 14. The secret of the Lord is with him that fear him, with those that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Psalm 33, 4, 18. Behold, the eye of the eternal is on those who fear him, on those who hope on his mercy. You might turn to Psalm 37, 4, 34, 7. It's one of my uh, favorite promises in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 34 and verse 7. Psalm 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack anything good thing. So I'm going to read a few more of the promises from the book of Psalms. Psalm 85, 9, verse 9. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Yes, salvation is near to those. Psalm 85, 9. Psalm 103 is uh, one of us, uh, Weston's uh, favorite uh, psalms, and one of my favorite psalms too and has two or three promises in him. One of it says that he will renew our youth as the eagles. So I claim that promise uh, probably a couple times a week from Psalm 103. But Psalm 103, verse 11. Psalm 103, verse 11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Do you need God's mercy? We come boldly before God's throne that we can obtain grace and mercy to help in time of need. Psalm 103, verse 13, another promise. As a father pities his children, so the eternal pities those who fear him. And a third reference in Psalm 103, verse 17. But the mercy of the eternal is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. 
There are many more in the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. Of course, you already know Proverbs 1, 7. You know, turn back to Proverbs 1. This is a, a very important point I want to bring out in Proverbs, the first chapter. But you know Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And you know Proverbs 9, 7. The fear of the eternal is the beginning of wisdom. So the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom is what? A godly fear. That's why the world doesn't have godly knowledge. That's why the world doesn't have godly wisdom because it doesn't have godly fear. But notice also here in Proverbs 1 and verse 29, very important point we want to bring out here. Talking about the fools because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel. You realize, yes, the fear of the Lord can be a choice. And if you don't have it, you need to choose it. And those who God condemns are those who did not choose the fear of the Lord. There are so many different promises in the book of uh, Proverbs about the fear of the Lord. I don't have time to go through them, but I have a chain in my Bible. Let's turn to Revelation 11th chapter, and we'll see again some of the promises of who is going to be in God's kingdom. We already read Revelation 11 and verse 15, and we already saw in verse uh, 19, and those who fear your name, small and great, are going to receive the reward of the salvation. Turn to Revelation, the 11th uh, chapter. Revelation 11. Well, we already read that. Those who fear your names. Turn to uh, Revelation uh, 14 and verse 6. Revelation 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people saying with a loud voice fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the springs of water Revelation 15 and verse 3 those who are going to be at the wedding we are going to sing the song of Moses Revelation 15, verse 3, standing on the sea of glass, as it says there in verse 2. Revelation 15, 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? That's the song we will be singing. For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. So God gives us that blessing. And then chapter 19 and verse 4, And the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. Revelation 19, verse 5. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the sound of many waters, as the sound of money thundering, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. We'll turn to one final scripture as we look at the many people who have served God and, and fear him. We found that the conclusion of the whole matter is to fear God and keep his commandments. Turn to Acts, the ninth chapter, Acts 9. And here we find the New Testament church. We saw in the, the telecast about first century Christianity and the greatest conspiracy in Mr. Weston's telecast on what is the greatest conspiracy of all. And what do we find in the New Testament church? Turn to Acts, the ninth chapter, and verse 31, Acts 9, and verse 31. Then the churches, this of course, after the 
Saul was turned to the Apostle Paul, verse 31, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And what was their characteristic of the New Testament church? And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So brethren, as the end time church of God, we see that yes, a godly fear is a key to conversion. And as the end time church of God, we need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, filled with passion doing the work. So let's fear God and do his will. Let's delight in the fear of the Lord, just as the Messiah did, as we read in Isaiah 11 and verse three. Let's love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as the first century church was multiplied, let's walk in the fear of the Lord in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Then we will rejoice in all the awesome blessings of a godly fear.